You are listening to The Crisis Beat with Dr. Mark Crowther and Brady Wood. All right. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to The Crisis Beat. This podcast is aimed at dissecting recent crisis communications practices and identifying where major companies fall flat at the risk of their entire businesses. So welcome to the podcast. With me today is my co-host, Dr. Mark Crowther, who, wearing his other hat, is the chair of the Department of Medicine at McMaster University. I'm Brady Wood, and I am a consultant and business owner and a communications professional. So today's episode, we are examining the July 8th shutdown of Rogers Telecommunication Services across uh, across Canada and its impacts and also how that team at that company responded to this crisis. So I, th- I think we'll start with, um, Mark, I guess we'll look at and chat a bit about what happened to the consumer and what this, this really meant. So in my thinking, I was trying to give an equivalent to U.S., uh, US listeners, well, this would be the equivalent of like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile all going down on the same day across the country with very little explanation. And so in Canada, it's, we, we really have, Mark, would you agree with me? It's, we, we kind of have two major telecommunications companies. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a number of providers, but of the major providers uh, and of the name brand providers, because each of the name brand providers has a bargain basement version of themselves that are linked and, and use the same network. Uh, there really are 2.5 and, and then a number of smaller providers. And I will say, Brady, before we get kickoff, it's probably important for the listeners to know that neither one of us are paid employees of Rogers, nor are we computer geeks, nor do we have any particular insight into what actually happened. We only can read the media reports as everybody else can. But I think as we were discussing before we got rolling on recording this, we both were personally affected by this. And so we have some insight into exactly what happened and some of the impact that it could have. Yeah, that, that's a that's a wise uh, place to start in a way. I, I, I just checked this mark and Rogers has the greatest market share of the mobile market at 31.6%. So a full third of mobile users are on on Rogers. And this also affected their the internet service. So so for me, I, I as we were talking about earlier, on the day of the, that evening, I was doing some testing of a, of a technology um, company that I'm working with and my messages stopped flowing to my phone at around 8 p.m. And the next day we went the entire day without any hint of why the service was out, uh, at least initially, um, and had no, no ability to phone or, or use the internet if you, you were on Roger's service, either computer internet or phone. And I was uh, literally traveling to England, touched down the following morning in England, so in the middle of the night, North American time, uh, effectively, and the flight attendant doing the briefing when we landed stated that if you were trying to connect through a Rogers phone, the Rogers network was down. And so it was an in, it was a national event of international importance. And I would also say that I think everybody's heard about the discombobulation at airports, particularly Canadian airports over the last couple of months. And there were a large number of uh, changes that I had to make on our flights within hours of departure. So if this had happened four hours sooner, uh, basically my son and I would have been scuppered because I had a long phone call with Air Canada trying to reschedule a flight after they canceled a flight. So I think that just reiterates not only that this was you know, a domestic problem, but it had international ramifications. And we are all unbelievably dependent on our cell phones now for all kinds of stuff, which we weren't even 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, Marco, on that on that note, like in your in one of your many day jobs, you are a physician, and so to be on on call and using that device as an example, this 
I, I'm, I'm actually surprised looking at the issue that there haven't been more reports of fat, fatal outcomes, for example. So we, we heard that, you know, some people couldn't access their banks. Some people could not use the ArriveCan app, which Canadians need to use to re-enter the country after international travel. And there were reports of 911 calls not being able to go through. Um, and Mark, I don't know if you've heard differently since we last chatted, but I don't think there's been a report of a, of a, a fatal outcome for anyone. I'm not aware of one, but it would be hard to know, right? Because Mrs. Smith's having chest pain and calls 911 and can't get through and is found dead the next day, attributed to normal cardiovascular event in an elderly woman. And she had a Rogers phone. There's no way to know. I, I will say that, for example, in the news, I saw that this Calgary, uh, sorry, the Thunder Bay Police Force, according to the news, apparently uh, set up an email 911 service because their 911 service was so badly affected. And and there were reports of similar kinds of outages elsewhere. And I must say that the hospital that I work at um, has a Rogers as an important contributor to its telecommunications solution and had its incident management center up and running because of the fact that the uh, communications in the healthcare facility itself were impacted by this uh, because I think, you know, particularly in medicine, um, we've traditionally been driven by pagers, which are solid 1970s technology, and people are desperate to get rid of the darn things. Uh, but if you can access the paging network, it is still, oddly enough, a reasonably resilient way of getting in touch with people. And I suspect that one of the reactions, we'll probably talk about this a bit later, that you're going to see to this outage is, first of all, people moving to other providers, uh, because this is not the first time this has happened to Rogers. And also, people developing sort of personal redundancy, meaning that despite cost, inconvenience, and complexity, they may move to having more than one personal route of communication should that be required. And so, for example, I had seriously considered permanently removing the battery from my pager, but I suspect that both because of a need for me to be able to be in touch and more importantly, because the hospital is going to be very resilient, resistant to having that happen again, you know, there's going to be a fair bit of pressure applied to sort of high demand critical specialties to ensure that they, they can be in touch even if one or more of Canada's cell phone providers goes down. Yeah, I mean, for me, and uh, we, we did talk about this, we, we should probably circle back to it, but I, I absolutely felt the need to consider, like, I haven't had a landline in years at my home. And now it sort of feels like on that day, for example, I couldn't get a hold of my ex uh, who, was, who's, who was taking care of my son. So I actually had to drive over to her place and leave them a note on the door and, you know, send me an email if you get this, if you happen to have a bell internet kind of thing. So you know, there people people had to go to lengths to just have personal comfort around loved ones and things. I was one of them, and yeah, I I, I definitely think not quite a full analog, but a different redundancy of communication. It, it reminds you, similar to how we've lived through a pandemic and it upended things. So to know that the world could go south that quickly um, is interesting. So so Rogers is a company that I think this is a good segue. Rogers is a company that has a lot of people's well being in their care. Um, just by the nature of the service they're providing and the amount of service they provide across the country. So we should talk a little bit about what their response looked like. And I mean, I don't mind to preempt this by saying, I think the communications response, especially when compared to what we would all agree are kind of best practices in crisis communications, I think it was really quite bad. Um, so what, what, do you have a, do you want to kick us off with any reflection on that, Mark? Yeah, just just so again, people won't be familiar with this, and and as I said at the start, neither you nor I are computer network people. But just so uh, you know, the uh, my understanding of this is that Rogers was doing an upgrade uh, of some of its core services, 
that was planned overnight, which makes sense because that's when usership is much lower. Uh, they did some, I presume, software changes, um, which resulted in a catastrophic failure of their what they're calling core systems, which essentially, as I understand it, is like the giant telephone book at the center of Rogers that controls the way that information flows. So it wasn't that the wires were broken. It was that the wires had no idea how to send the information, which resulted in the service being overwhelmed and collapsing. And then because of what appears to be a fairly inefficient response, which we'll probably touch on, it took ages and ages and ages for them to figure out what was going on, and then even more ages to build a response. And and again, reported in the media, part of the issue, for example, was that when the network went down, and I was just refreshing myself reading some of the news reports on this, Roger's key technology people assembled physically, uh, which seems odd, to try to develop a response to this and then discovered they couldn't access the networks themselves and they did actually have um, competitors sim cards uh, which they once they realized they could then put those into their devices they were able to start to re-establish some connection with each other um, by uh, using a competitor's network uh, unfortunately that whole process took ages uh, and not only was there a lack of outwardly facing communication to the Canadian public, uh, but also it sounds like there was a lot of internal lack of communication. So Brady, you might want to just comment on, for example, on not only was the social media response, I would say, quite poor and not timely, but there were actually some issues with them, again, according to news reports, to them being able to actually even access their social media accounts. Yeah, I heard that. And I mean, I think there's there are just certain things that you look for in communications, but the timeliness of a crisis response is critical. And it, and it all comes back to, I think, in these cases, consumer confidence. So, you know, history has shown us someone can make a mistake. And if they're able to communicate effectively, like the best example we have in Canada is maple leaf foods. There was a listeriosis outbreak at the plants. Um, I, I believe slightly less than 100 people died. I, I hope I have that stat correct. And, you know, it, they reinforced the standard of timely communication that is empathetic a fully transparent and available leader who can speak clearly about what's going on. These are all kind of the hallmarks of what can restore confidence even through a crisis. And in this case, I, I think Rogers took, so if we all woke up in the morning with no internet, and I don't think we heard anything from them until like after lunch, like I would say it was 2 PM by the time some, some a, a very generic statement trickled out. There were reports in the media that this was going on. Um, but uh, no full accounting was available for the entire 24 hours, as far as I'm concerned, that they that the the outage was on. I remember watching the news that day, and there was a VP on, and he just basically said, "We are his his line was sort of we are working on it," and so he dodged a bunch of other questions. I know we'll get into later that Rogers has a a um, a, a merger planned uh, with um, uh, with Shaw Telecommunications. He was asked about that during the interview, and he just said, "Listen, all I can tell you is that we're working on this other issue. I can't comment on that." So, kind of was pretty was pretty dodgy and didn't have a lot of information to share. Um, so, I think the lack of timeliness, the lack of clarity, um, and and I, I think also to me, what came across as a user is a general lack of of empathy as well. Um, so, I think they tried to show some urgency by, for example, filming this gentleman 
kind of in the in the command center with people like moving around behind him at desks looking frantic or something but it didn't it didn't really communicate that they uh, I think to me understood uh, the breadth of the of the damage that people perceived this causing I totally agree I, I think the other thing is it it belies or it implies whether it's true or not that they even if you don't really understand what's going on, you want to provide people with confidence that you have a pathway forward to figure it out. And I would say the major interesting issue that we, my son and I identified when we were in England was, you know, he's a computer technology person. He works in the sphere. He's a graduate of a major computer engineering program. Like he deeply understands this and he was sort of providing me with a running commentary of what's going on. And right from the very start, it was funny. He said, oh, they must have been doing an upgrade to their core network. And you know, two weeks later, they were up doing, doing an upgrade to their core network. Uh, it, it, it is the is the the appearance that they had no idea what was going on and had no route to fix it. Whereas you and I both know, Brady, and we've talked about this many times before in our personal communications, you know, crisis communication is not an art. It's a science. And there is science to that. And the science failed here, right? The science is, and you could you can tell us what what sort of the basic principles are. But it strikes me the last thing you want to do is plug somebody on a Bell network or a, a TELUS network talking to the CBC National News about this. And people leave that interview with the impression that they have no idea what happened. Was it a cyber attack? Was it a, you know, a squirrel got into the wrong transformer? And, but more importantly, they don't have a path forward. Whereas, again, both from the crisis communication standpoint and from the IT recovery standpoint, there has to be a path forward. And maybe you could just tell the people listening for 10 seconds, kind of the basic step-by-step fundamentals of crisis communication. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing here is we do have a lot of theory. There are a lot of folks that have um, made really major inroads. So Kathy Fernbanks has like a case study approach where she talks about crisis communications that have gone well and gone poorly. Um, There's Seymour and more five C's where they talk about bringing care, commitment, consistency, coherence, and clarity to the message. Um, and then Timothy Coombs almost is almost algorithmic in talking about um, aligning the type of crisis and fault to the level of action. So I think, I think where this would go well is you are able to say fully transparently that you've made a mistake, that you deeply care about your customers, that you're doing everything in your power to restore it like you said, Mark, some coherence and clarity on on the path forward. Um, and, and, you know, there was a bit of, I don't know if it was, I think it was like unintentional diminishing. So the lack of communication almost had a diminishing effect, which I would say is a misalignment of the the, the level of action with the, the severity of the crisis. Um, the, the other thing here, Mark, and I think that um, really important point, I think, where this is, goes extremely well is where a leader already has positive image and profile or a company already has positive image and profile. And I'm willing to bet, I think the telecoms in Canada have a very low measured trustworthiness and consumer satisfaction. And I think until this crisis happened, I didn't know who the Rogers CEO was. I don't think he holds a lot of credibility in the Canadian psyche. And also, he was largely invisible during the critical hours of the crisis. So to have a leader invisible, uh, not available, not doing the media response, not being out in front quickly with well-scripted, coherent, well-considered messaging um, is itself kind of a big fail of, of, of both leadership and, like you said, the science, uh, the science and alchemy of crisis communications. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And again, 
relying on media reports, one of the things that I think both of us found entertaining when we were dissecting this after the event was, for example, um, uh, reports are that the Rogers communication people couldn't actually access their social media accounts because things like two-factor authentication for the key individuals probably required them to have access to their cell phones, which weren't, weren't working. You know, it's not just that the banking app goes down, it's that the banking app may be working perfectly fine because the banks have great infrastructure. But if you can't get your 2FA signal, um, you're, you know, you're basically locked out. And highlighting something else, and that is that corporations that are mission critical need to have a backup plan about what they're going to do for every single major likely and every single catastrophic unlikely outcome event. Uh, because, you know, I think we've both talked about this before, but our, our motto for this podcast is something along the lines is it took you 37 years to build this business and 37 seconds to destroy it. And and much of what we're talking about is predictable. So I think anybody could have predicted because of the fact that Rogers had an outage like this before that it's possible they would have another one. And it strikes me that all of the senior leaders should have two cell phones. They should have a Rogers cell phone and they should have a Bell cell phone or a Tele cell phone, and they should be required to carry it with them at all times. And they should have it charged up at all times. And it, if it never has it to ring, excellent. But you know, you need to have that kind of a backup plan. The 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 other thing is they should all have a binder at home, like a piece of paper, no battery required, that actually tells them what to do, both from a communication perspective and from a you know system is down. Here's what we're going to do: like assemble immediately at this location. Those kind of things obviously didn't work here, and and you know even if they did actually work, there was a perception they didn't work, and we really, really, really need to make sure that as people who are running businesses that we have an approach to that. Now, I, 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 in my in my my personal world, I got an email yesterday from a faculty member who wants to talk to me about a, a harassment and intimidation complaint, which is sadly more common than it should be, and like I'm not flopping around in the breeze trying to figure out how I'm going to approach this. I have a well rehearsed very clearly articulated, uh, repeatable, and, and proven approach that I will employ to deal with that issue. And and if you next week when I get another one, or in a month or a year when I get another one, you know the the, the approach will be exactly the same. That was clearly missing here, despite the fact they'd had practice because just over not you know, in 2021 they had another 22 hour outage, so they should have been well rehearsed at this. Yeah, absolutely. You're really right to to narrow to zoom in on that, Mark. Like this was not the first time in recent memory that this company had this problem, and I and I don't think their response was better this time. I think it might have actually been worse. Um, so interestingly, on this note, I'm thinking too about, you know, one of the themes that you and I have talked about is, uh, and I think it's a theme that'll run through the podcast, healthcare, uh, working in an academic health science center or hospital is like a remarkable training ground for crisis. So if you uh, adhere to the, the kind of motto that practice makes perfect as a young communicator, I lost track at, at 50 significant uh, crises that I handled and, and handled many more over the, over the term, whether it was you know, pay, a, pay, a patient having a bad outcome that was or was not our fault, other accusations made in the media, governance issues that landed in the media, very, very significant dust-ups, whereas a company like, like a Rogers even might only have one major crisis communications issue in an entire business cycle. Some companies have 25 years without being in the media at all. Um, and that, that can be a positive or a negative thing in the sense that you're not known. Um, but I, I think it's a great training ground, but it's also a reminder of the, the necessity of these tools. 
Um, Mark, another thing that you and I have talked about and uh, started to do a, a bit of uh, a trial at writing on this issue is that notion of a bad actor or a bad outcome where they weather the crisis. And that's another thing that I'm curious about here, because I, I think to the, like you talked about a scientific approach to crisis communications, I would favor a version where we can actually quantify the handling of a crisis. So how much, uh, there's a guy actually at McMaster who did some incredible work on this, uh, Terry Flynn. So he's published a study on, on a Toyota handling of a crisis, again, quantifying the impact on, on the actual value of the company based on how they handled a crisis. And it'd be interesting to see with Rogers here, is this going to be one of those examples where there's a direct line to the bottom line for them to between their bad handling and a poor financial outcome? Um, so I'll be curious about their earnings in this next period and how many customers dropped off. As I mentioned to you, I'm canceling my, my corporate Rogers account. I won't use that company after having um, such a bad experience. Um, and, and they've, they have other consequences they're facing. For example, this, this, uh, I think it's a $26 billion merger proposed with Shaw, which some folks are, have kind of anti-monopolistic concerns about already. And so this kind of worsens a bunch of business outcomes for them. But I'm also curious, you know, these telecoms are sometimes, uh, too big to fail. So this could also be one of those instances where it's a too big to fail scenario. I don't know if that prompts any thinking on your part, but that's kind of a curiosity I have coming out of this. And in six months, will we be able to see the kind of dent this made? And, and is it is it consequential? Um, I think it is. I mean, I have faith that ethical, forward-facing, transparent crisis communications is the right approach. But sometimes we see things like a Donald Trump or a Boris Johnson, where it's sort of uh, lying and dissimulation and, uh, you know, smoke screens and muddying waters allows people or companies to uh, continue on the path that they're on with poor with poor outcomes. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I, I think so people forget quickly and move on. And there's a lot of native inertia that leads to people not accepting these kind of events, but rather getting really upset when it happens. And two weeks later, it's you know, receded along with many other worries. I, 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 so I'm, I'm not, I don't think that we'll see, my prediction would be that we wouldn't be that we see mass transits because in Canada, it's pretty hard to switch providers. Um, but what I do think we'll see is we'll see corporate uh, changes because there's a lot of corporate risk associated with this for sure. And I'm sure, for example, in the healthcare environment, there'll be a lot of uh, navel gazing about how we build what would be traditionally seen as unnecessary redundancy into the system to provide us with the ability to provide the care we need to provide when these kind of things happen. And, and it's not just healthcare, you know, in, in, in mission critical infrastructure, uh, you know, air traffic control, uh, control of uh, the banking sector, the electrical grid. I, I think this probably, I would hope that it will lead people to start to think not only about the risk due to cyber attacks, which is a whole separate subject, but just to the fact that it's not good enough that if you know machine X, which is critical to the day-to-day -day function of people's lives, is broken, that you're going to hope that somebody's available on the other end of a cell phone connection to fix it. I, we really do need to spend some time with that. Canadian government is pursuing this reasonably aggressively and and trying to, I think, put in place some controls and, and measures around it. I don't think they'll actually. They have a very short attention span. There's a lot going on right now. I, I don't have a lot of faith that that will actually lead to something. I, I do think that. The, the CEOs of you know, the Canadian banks calling up the CEO of Rogers and say, hmm, this is twice now. And so you know, our, our plan is with Rogers, but 
we're not really happy with the service. I suspect that's where we'll see the heat really being applied to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And if it does happen again, that it's more geographically limited. And if it does happen again, that the response, both in terms of the social media slash communications response and the actual physical response to the outage is just better articulated and, and just not as helter-skelter as this appeared to be from the outside. Yeah, and you're right about the government. Like, I know that um, they, you know, they hauled, um, I think it's Tony Staffieri is the, the CEO. They hauled him and some others in front of the Canadian Radio and Tele- Telecommunications uh, Committee. Um, so he had to answer a bunch of embarrassing questions and get kind of beaten up by MPPs or by members of parliament, sorry. And uh, and also, uh, you know, this did prompt uh, some message from Trudeau. And I do think there are a lot of questions and a bit of a movement toward almost greater regulation, as like you said, this is an essential service. So I did I do remember some of the MPs, particularly some of the more left leaning were more were in that kind of headspace of, well, this needs more regulation and more government involvement. So whether that actually results in in a better outcome for consumers is is um, is interesting. But um um, and, and, you know, Rogers has since, um, you know, in, in, they've talked about some investment. Um, I, I, and you mentioned this, Mark, about like some of the actions they were, were talking about. I think this came out around two weeks after the outage. They were able to say, here, here are some of the actions we're taking, technical actions. So I don't know if you wanted to comment on that. And also they've, they've done some refunds to people. So I personally received, I think, 200 something for my, my single Rogers account. So they, they are taking these actions. Um, I don't know that it's the, uh, so I think the thing with action in this, in the context of crisis communications is it has to give some assurance that, that the crisis will not be revisited. So that was a, that was a, a really interesting approach of the Maple Leaf CEO that I think would actually be germane to this conversation. His commitment was to make Maple Leaf the single greatest leader in infectious disease control in meat processing plants, far exceeding the current standards that existed from government and other regulating bodies. And that really resonated with people. They're like, oh, wow. Then, you know, he's quite emotional about the deaths that were caused. And so this kind of approach really resonated. The Rogers, you know, my, my gut reaction to, oh, we're going to make some things a little, you know, we're going to make some investments and here's some money. I, I don't actually have faith from that response that that this is being taken seriously enough by them. I think one of the things that I, I doubt is unlikely to happen, but as you said, we have a near monopoly and that we have 2.5 national carriers. You wonder whether one of the outcomes of this could be that we get a more U.S. system where there's a lot more democratization of this network, where multiple different service providers compete with one another, because the other implication of Canada's duopoly is that prices for Canadian cell providers are much higher than in the U.S., at least my impression is that from the people I know in the U.S. Um, I, I, I will say that there, there are other consequences of this. So uh, I'm just reading a news report from the Financial Post uh, dated July the 21st announcing that Rogers' chief technology officer had left the company. And, and so there are some personal consequences to this as well at, at the level of the company. Uh, obviously, there was an enormous technology problem that led to this. I, I doubt that the chief technology officer had much to do with the actual events. I suppose you set the tone of leadership. Um, but in reality, I doubt replacing one person at the top of an organization is going to result in future-proofing it against similar events. It's going to take a much more deep dive into the plumbing of the organization to figure out what happened. Uh, it, it, it is, it, you know, th- this is one of these very interesting observations uh, that that 
you wouldn't expect to happen in 2022, but in a time of increasing uncertainty for many different reasons, it does highlight how dependent we are on a very small bit of technology and how we all personally lack backup plans. So you pointed out that you and your child were separated as a result of necessary stuff, and yet you had no backup plan as to what to do with that. And you know, my family lives in different locations and we have no kind of backup plan. And you wonder if another consequence of this is that you should have personal backup plans so that if something catastrophic happens, that you know what you're going to do to respond to that. Let's just get back to the communication stuff for a few minutes. So then Brady, you know, you're a communications professional. Let's put you in the driver's seat of this event. It's four o'clock in the morning. It's become apparent that the network is dead. What, what's the, what, what, what would you do? I think, well, I think, as you know, you kind of have to work against a deadline to get as much information as possible. I'm always in favor of a, of a holding message. So the first thing you do is you write something. So in the event that you get a media call, you have a statement ready to go. And, and that statement should reflect the principles of crisis communications to the best of your ability to be clear, competent, coherent, transparent about what's going on, commit it, commitment, a demonstration that you understand pain or suffering caused by the outage. And that, and that can be a three to five sentence statement, uh, usually attributed to the CEO, and you have that ready to go. Now, the, the technical problem that these folks had was they didn't have access, by the sounds of it, to their phones and internet. So that's a little bit harder to handle. But what I would still say is I would, you know, th these folks would have media relationships. And so I, you know, if I was really trying to play out the scenario, it would be, I've got to get myself to a landline and I have to be able to access my the reporters that I know, and I might have to call in the holding statement. And this strategy needs to usually be validated by leaders. So you've written something, get it validated. That's the first thing ready to go. And then you're doing um, additional review to fully understand the issue and the actions that, could, that can be taken. So again, the fact that Rogers had so little information and let so little trickle out and their main message seemed to be like, we're working on it. That might reflect reality, but I think I would really push that team to have done better on the messaging. What can we tell people? Uh, what alternatives? And I, I would have also uh, encouraged them to be more safety conscious. So maybe work with, uh, you know, an external body can always be very validating. Um, if they, you know, I've, I've been in a hospital where there was an infectious disease outbreak and we collaborated with public health so that public health and independent agency was validating our approach. So if I was Rogers, I would find what is the, the governing body of telecommunications and have them participate and, and be willing to put out their own message that says, yes, we also understand and make sure that the public has some, some kind of safety protocols that you could relay to say, hey, what do you do at this moment? You know, what can you what might you be concerned about? I don't know, like I I know this isn't a suicide issue, but I mean, you know, there are suicide hotlines. Is there a hotline that could be established, uh, for example, or you know, checking on, encourage people to check on elderly neighbors that you haven't heard from or whatever it is, but to just show that you're actually really thinking through the effect on the public. And then again, I think the other thing I would say is this is, this is, this is significant. This is about the mission statement of the company. That's a CEO level communications job, period, full stop. It's not the VP of important things or, you know, the director of other enormous portfolios. This is, the CEO taking accountability and showing his compassion and commitment to doing better. So that's my that's my Coles notes. I don't know if you think I missed it. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point is that you know, the CEOs of large corporations are paid enormous amounts of money. They are three, six, you know, they're 24-7, 365 jobs. It doesn't matter if it's four o'clock on a Thursday night. 
you know, when you're getting paid an enormous amount of money to be seen to be the the, the boss of an enormous corporation, it, you've got to be available. Like you, it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. You're at the cottage. You're the your cottage has to have a bomb-proof way for you to be able to communicate with the world about what is going on and what happened. If you're on an airplane, there has to be a way for you to, you know, figure out as soon as that airplane lands, man, you've got to have the information that you need to be able to communicate effectively. It just really doesn't matter. It, if 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 you're running a, you know, if you're a solo proprietor of a small business and it, it that's a very different world. But when you're running a big company, you're taking personal responsibility for all of this. And I agree with you completely. The the senior VP of some important portfolio may come on later as part of the communication strategy because they will probably have more technical competence than yeah, the CEO. Exactly. That's where but, but but they should not be at the front end. So you know, if it was me, four o'clock in the morning, it's apparent that the network's going down or has gone down and it's gone down hard. The first thing you do is you get in touch with the major news media outlets. You get in touch with the with your competitors, uh, and you say to them, "We need to announce to the world that we've had a major outage. We are working on rectifying it. We have a plan to deal with this kind of stuff, and we have no anticipated timeline for restoration at this very early juncture." But everybody should be aware that we have devoted 100% of the resources of this company to fixing this problem. Not and, and Mark, frankly, like why that couldn't have been out early in the game, I don't understand. Like you said that near perfectly in my mind. I don't have a note for you on what I would have said differently. And that's something that kind of never came out, really. Not At least not in the, in the kind of, that first 48 hours, there was nothing of that, that gravitas, in my opinion. No, I don't think I saw that. Actually, to be frank, I'm not sure that I saw it ever, because by the time that they started to communicate at that level, they'd actually started to solve the problem. Uh, and and as my son said, you know, you could see these panic-stricken engineers trying to find keys they haven't used in years because their swipe cards stopped working, so they could get into these server farms and unplugging things. You know, you don't need to communicate that level of detail, but you absolutely need to tell people that. You know, you're aware of it, you're aware of the consequences, and you're working on a solution right now. Yeah. No, it's, it's one of those, you know, I'm back to your line about took you 37 years to build this business and 37 seconds to wreck it. And I kind of think about that in the, on the leadership career front as well, because a crisis is really the, one of these leadership crucibles. Like, I don't know if you've ever really become your full leader self if you haven't had to sweat it through something that could destroy the organization that you are stewarding. Um, and in this case, I, I, I don't see a world where this person didn't fail the crucible of leadership. Like I, I, I don't like to call for someone's head, but it's sort of like if I was on that board, I would say this was a failure of leadership and we need a new CEO. Yeah, obviously the company is going to decide that in the board of directors. But, but I, I would say like th there is a real problem here if this happens twice in a large company and we're focusing on the communication perspective of it. It, it strikes me that the whole it needs a reboot so that we don't run into this kind of thing again, because there's a real potential to run into this kind of thing again. We should, we're, we're just getting towards the end of our time here, Brady. Yes. So we, sh we should probably just summarize. So again, as kind of the communication professional amongst us, do you want to just give us kind of a quick bullet summary of lessons learned and, and what we could be doing or what large corporations can be doing to prepare themselves and, and avoid this kind of problem in the future, realizing that, you know, the technology breaks, things don't have an indefinite lifespan. As you said, I can tell you from enormous personal experience that in healthcare, you know, these kind of crises erupt 
regularly. And if we didn't have a plan to deal with them, uh, we'd look pretty stupid pretty fast. Well, I think you make the ultimate point there, Mark. And when I when I talk on this, it is, you know, where your efforts are weighted is your prep before a crisis. So you absolutely have to have a policy and, and practice that's aligning your action with the type of crisis. And you have to have trained leader. You've got to have this culture of notification and transparency so that messages flow easily through the organization. You basically have to be practiced at this. You've got to have great media relations and tracking. And then there's work to be done during the crisis. There are lots of good communications practices, which we've talked about. And then there's the after the crisis. But again, as, uh, as we wrap up here, I think that on those three dimensions, and I think uh, we'll spend more time on what those look like in a perfect world, maybe on the next episode. Um, but I would say I have to give Rogers a, a real failing grade on their, on their communications, which is, it's kind of mind-bending to see one of the largest corporations in Canada be, be so um, amateurish at this. It's a corporate function that should be actually very, very tuned up and rigorous. Couldn't agree more. And, and again, I, I, just to reiterate that businesses live and die based on this kind of communication. And if you own a business and you haven't thought about this, that's a, 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 a real problem because you can never predict what is going to happen. You are a service provider, your service could fail, you make something, you know, your quality could go, go off. There's all kinds of reasons why it's in your best interest to spend a little bit of time thinking about uh, crisis communication rather than waiting until afterwards because you know this is not something it's like making a very good uh, dish for dinner it's better to do it with a recipe than to kind of just fake it as you're going along mm-hmm. 100% couldn't have said it couldn't have said it better so folks i think that's a wrap for our first episode of the crisis beat i hope you'll join us here next time we're trying to establish a regular rhythm of these so tune in at least monthly and uh, hear more from us on this uh, exciting dimension of, of business world Thanks, Thanks Brady. Uh, talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.